Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 186. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is Mr. Nicholson. John, welcome back from Mexico. Feeling feeling good, Pete. Feeling relaxed. Uh, a little tan, you know? Um, you know, ready to ease back into, oh God, there's so much to do for work. <laughs> yeah. Why did I go on vacation? Yeah, it's. I love those vacations like right before VMworld, right before the major push. You know, you go there, you sit poolside, have a couple of margaritas. Everything's fine. You come home and it's like, oh, my sessions need to be recorded. I need to do demos. I need to do this. Oh, and there's also a launch. Yeah, so <laughs> welcome back. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, you and I are going to be doing a session. We're recording it this week. It's on, as, as we're talking about today, HCI Mesh. I think that's going to be a, a fun conversation. I thought this would be a good way to prime that session, would be to get in the real expert to the call, which is our good friend David Boone, and, and pick his brain, because he's not only a, a guy that knows the technicals, but he actually does the proof of concepts and works it with customers. So he's the perfect guy to get on the call. So Dave, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Here. Thanks for the kind intro. Always, always. You may remember Dave a few years back. We had him on for the uh, VMworld session. You, you were with FedEx at the time. I think you were talking with FedEx and just talking about some of their massive deployments. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we've come a long way with FedEx. And today, you know, we're, we're even looking at ACI mesh there. So um, this is it rolls right in very nicely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So before we get too deep, uh, John, let's 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 start real simple. Uh, what is HCI mesh and, and why do people care? So uh, HCI has been out for a while and it's a, you know, great scalable technology, scale compute, scale storage. You know, you go there and occasionally people say, well, I need to scale differently. My my compute, my storage don't necessarily line up. Um, or maybe they look at their data center and they say, I've got these clusters and I'm getting kind of some islands of storage and islands of compute. Um this helps, uh, you know, address some of those circumstances. So this lets me take what was once just a cluster resource of vSAN data store and mount it as a remote data store to another cluster, be that another vSAN cluster or a compute cluster. So there's th this is something that helps us get fundamentally more efficiency and flexibility in our data centers. Uh, maybe I want to have some smaller clusters that mount an existing larger cluster for, you know, hashtag reasons we can get into. Um, but there's... It, it opens up flexibility while still making sure that I'm able to scale in a, you know, in a clean, consistent manner. So devil's advocate, isn't that, you know, what, what you can already do with virtualization and vSAN in general? Like if I've got, if I've got, you know, a, a virtual machine that's sitting on one cluster and I run out of space and I've got another cluster that's got space, can, is there a way to take advantage of that now? Maybe storage vMotion or do something? Do I really need HCI mesh? So you, you always could have done a, sh uh, a shared nothing vMotion. So you migrate both compute and storage and move that but you occasionally get into situations where one maybe you've got excess compute in one cluster and you've got excess storage in another mm -hmm. but you're you've basically you've created an island of compute and an island of storage resources that are kind of stranded in that case so that that resolves that the other cases are is you might 
want to have islands of compute only for different reasons. Maybe you've got a security team who just really wants some cluster to be isolated. Uh, maybe you've got a VDI cluster that, or, or you've got a cluster, you know, that's, it needs to scale just compute only. The storage needs were moderate and, you know, or a web server farm. These things can, you know, you have these massive Tomcat servers that all just read a couple gigabytes to yeah. memory and then sit there and churn on transactions all day and, and offload to a database somewhere else. There, there's environments where no matter how each, I mean, we could always do tricks before. So we could use uh, servers with lots of drive base um, or we could use, you know, you could try to kind of ham fist blades in and do these like really tiny disk groups. But this this helps get away from that. Um, or if you want to use those blades, that's fine, but just use them for compute, not try to shove disks into blades, which always was awkward. Okay, yeah, and I do remember this came out a few, I think it came out in what, 7.0? Or was it Update 1? One of those. Was, update 1. Yeah, it was Update 1, yeah. But it, yeah, looked, so it looked very version, different, right? Yeah, so Update 1, the initial version was just vSAN cluster to vSAN cluster. Yeah. And so people got all excited who were like, I've got this, I've got this workload that's compute heavy and I just want to deploy a compute cluster. And I'm like, oh, and I have to deploy another vSAN cluster. Okay, <laughs> so I got to buy the disks, I got to buy the licensing. So with 7 Update 2, we, we created some flexibility on the configuration to where now you can have a compute only cluster. And so when you, you're going through your cluster setup wizard, you can say this is going to be an HCI mesh uh, client cluster, compute cluster. You select that option and then you can go mount the remote data stores, plural, potentially multiple vSAN clusters. Um, there's also some improvements on SPBM to help with placement. Uh, but with this, you now have the ability also note, you don't have to have licensing for vSAN for that compute only cluster. We generally don't talk about licensing on this show, but that that can help sometimes kind of the, the cost model of saying, look, I've got this cluster. I don't have to buy disks. I don't have to pay for storage. I already have storage. I've already paid for it. Let me just use it. There's some flexibility. So you essentially have vSAN with no disks on this cluster, but but there's no vSAN license. How does that work? So you're you're mounting the remote vSAN cluster that is that is licensed. There it's you have to license vSAN somewhere obviously here, but in this case, so let's say I've got a I've got a 12 node vSAN cluster that's rocking. It's full of NVMe. It's fast as hell. I really like it. Uh, maybe I've got a slower cluster that's that's hybrid. You know, like for some reason I'm st- I have a I, it's maybe I, I I'm not all flash everywhere. <laughs> um, and then I've got a bunch of clusters that are compute only for different reasons. So maybe uh, I'm an education institution. I do research and I I buy servers off of grant money and I try to segment them based on that reason. Uh, or I've got a DMZ cluster. Someone really wants to hard isolate the computer the DMZ. They're really paranoid about shared memory attacks. Um, although you know we can obviously protect pretty well against that today with the scheduler. But you know compliance maybe compliance has stepped in and says I want to see a dedicated physical cluster for you know some application. Or maybe you have an app vendor. Maybe Maybe you're running something, you know, some type of application like Oracle or SQL where you're paying eye-watering amounts of money per core <laughs> and you don't want anything else, even back in storage processes, you know, grabbing a couple cores on those hosts. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe you and maybe you have a two-node Oracle cluster that you want to use RAID 6 with. You, you, previously, you have to go build a six-node cluster and use DRS to segment mm-hmm. And ain't nobody got time for that. So, you know, now you can give your this Oracle DBAs, hey, here's your two-node cluster. You can access all the rich performance and features of my remote vSAN clusters, but you still have a two-node cl- cluster that you can point out for you know audit and licensing segmentation. Nice. Yeah. So I've talked about all the theoreticals here. Um, one, one of the great things about my job is I'm not allowed to touch production or even <laughs> I don't really touch POCs that lead to production. Um, and what I like about some of the individuals like Dave on one of our other uh, teams under our director here is that he's actually pretty cool and people let him touch real data centers that customers have and, and gets to get a little, you know, do more than just whiteboard jockeying. So 
Dave, what what are you excited about? What are you seeing the excitement on HCI mesh? Where are you seeing the rubber hit the road? Well, well, you you definitely hear a lot of interest in the use cases you described. Um, not stranding storage, not stranding compute. Um, th- those are the main drivers for for HCI mesh for sure. Uh, and yeah, I think the the benefit of having a compute only where you don't have to have the vSAN licenses in there, that's got to be a huge win as well. Oh yeah, uh, you know you can see many opportunities around that. Probably the most interesting use case we've kind of developed with this is not even along those lines. Um, it was trying to solve a problem with Oracle VRAC because um, one customer wants to be able to, you know, do hardware lifecycle management where you know they they have an existing cluster that's aging out and they want to be able to move this Oracle VRAC uh, live with no downtime from one cluster to another cluster, right? And with uh, vMotion. It, it doesn't support multi-rider. Uh, there, there's all kinds of little glitches with trying to do it just one cluster to another cluster uh, with that. So what we ended up doing was leveraging ACI mesh in the mix so that uh, we could vMotion over the compute and the OS disk and the binaries disk and have that all on the remote, on the new cluster, and then just create new you know, be able to access the the existing data disks over HCI mesh. And then um, we can do that migration live um, without breaking any rules for multi-writer or anything, because we're not vMotioning the multi-writer disks, which are the data disks. And then as a as a secondary step, just using Oracle ASM to create another ASM volume problem. level migration. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I was wondering how you got around the storage piece. So yeah. that's cool. You move the compute by extending that. This is what's fun talking to anyone who's done migrations for a long time is there's an infinite number of scenarios that feel like a Kobayashi Maru, like there's no win on this. And if you know, if you if you find the right specialist, there's probably a way to do it. Now you may not, you know. May require some hardware, may require some time, but that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. And I like that the using that to get around the multi-writer issue of you need to get the compute over. So so in that case, you made the the existing cluster be was the HCI mesh host in that sense. And then uh, what does that look like from an HCI mesh deployment perspective? What did you guys do? Yeah, so on the existing cluster, you enable HCI mesh as a server. Uh, that cluster is going to serve out its its data store to other clusters. And then the new cluster is the one that's the client to it. So you go in and configure it and tell it, hey, I can access this data store. Um, once you got that, then you've got access. Uh, you do have to make sure networking's right. And uh, for that particular deployment, that's kind of the holding point is um, you do have to have networking traffic be able to flow or the vSAN, VM kernel traffic, be able to flow from one cluster to another cluster. And that can open up problems, especially say if you have a vSAN backend switch network that may not go up to the core and may not go rack to rack, that kind of thing. Um, you, you do need you know vSAN packets to be able to reach back and forth over that vSAN VM kernel. So uh, assuming that's in place, then, then it's pretty much... Uh, good to go. You do have to watch, you know, your ISLs, especially a lot of the customers are deploying the entire cluster within the same rack. So now with ACI mesh, you are talking about sending that vSAN traffic typically outside of the rack. So you got to make sure that your, you know, your uplinks can handle the throughput and that kind of thing without, without. Make sure, make sure you've got a nice fast leaf spine, ideally non-blocking 
what is it? CLOS, CLOS, uh, non-blocking fabric, I think is the, the term for where you've got full bandwidth end to end. Seems to be what all the cool kids are doing these days. Um, one other thing on the V-Motion that I've seen is some people also get kind of uh, persnickety about doing a a um a shared nothing v motion sometimes that if you've got really really weird sensitive applications they like to split it up and do the storage bit once and the compute the other particularly if there's the v motion network um is you know content has contention uh being able to split that into two parts kind of like what you're you were talking about but instead of doing the using asm just doing a compute v motion for the secondary uh since obviously you were having to work around shared SCSD three walking issues but on the network issue um i saw some some testing we did internally and it, it looks like you know with the network we really want to see some faster networks and the key on that seemed to be the the side that was sharing the storage right yeah yeah you definitely are gonna you know push those um inner switch links uh, a lot harder than before with aci mesh um and, and beyond that you know some of the early deployments of, of vSAN, it was it used to be a best practice to keep that vSAN um, traffic isolated per cluster. So you know some early adopters of vSAN may need to go back and and rearchitect so that that IP traffic can be routed. Well, it's yeah, particularly when we were using multicast. I remember um, yeah. we would say, hey, let's just put everything on its own VLAN. Let's route it nowhere for security. I mean, kind of like what you do with zoning with fiber channel. And exactly. we would say, yeah, each cluster gets its own network. You might give it a gateway to nowhere so you can heartbeat and then you, you roll on with life. But now kind of like vMotion, um, as vMotion expanded, so as vSAN expanded, you may need to think about routing those networks into other places uh, for transport. Yeah, and that was kind of a, a one thing that helped along the way, I guess, is that yeah, typically we were putting vSAN and vMotion on those backend networks. And, and because of vMotion, a lot of customers do have it routable already. So just so that vMotion traffic can flow too. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Now, one thing to note is on scaling vMotion, you can add multiple VM kernel ports, but HCI mesh is a single VM kernel port so that you that that server that's hosting the storage is hairpinning traffic. So the, the RAID mirroring or RAID 5 on the back end is all coming off that one VM kernel port. And then it's acting as it's, it's mirroring client traffic up and out to the remote clients. So again, as we talked about, you know, make sure you've got some bigger NICs. Uh, I think we're recommending at least 25, but you know, if you want to go a hundred, um, I hear it's more affordable than ever <laughs> for the, for the, at least the cluster that's sharing the data. Yeah. Or, or at least on your ISLs, your uplinks, hmm. you know, dude, a yeah. hundred there and 25 gate to the host. 25 Just, is the new uh, 10. Yeah. yeah. So um, I know this is vSAN and uh, slightly different, but um, how does this affect the the data path? You know, uh, it's being in a different location. I'm curious, you know, what does this look like from an architecture perspective? How does this look different uh, for HCI mesh compared to a traditional vSAN? Yeah, the protocol is pretty much identical. And with vSAN, there's no guarantee that your data is going to land on the same host as where your VM is running anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's pretty much the same network load as far as vSAN is concerned. It's primarily that now we're looking at sending that vSAN traffic somewhere else. So you got to worry about your, your core uh, routing and your core uh, uplinks. And do you have enough bandwidth to be able to have vSAN flying all over the place at the same time, right? So so instead of keeping it, you know, a lot of customers trying to keep uh, vSAN clusters within the same rack, within the same Tor switches, uh, this takes that concept and kind of throws it out the window. Mm. Well, and I know some people who've worked with scale at storage systems in the past, they might've had a, a backplane network, like they'd have a pair of InfiniBand switches or something. The key thing to remember here is, is that backplane network 
is also your front plane network. It's also your client network. So that's why we're saying, you know, bigger, bigger NICs, bigger switches. The VM kernel port is doing both the backend cluster for the, the regular storage for RAID or whatever that the distribution is. And then it's sending one copy out on the client side. Now it isn't like, so the clients, they're not speaking. If there's RAID 5 and it's talking to four hosts, that client compute cluster isn't going to have four separate connections to the four components. Yeah, It's going to hairpin it through basically a gateway host. I, I think um, I'm so used to multi-writer after working on all this Oracle VRAC <laughs> stuff. Because, uh, yeah, you know, with, with multi-writer in, in vSAN, we do have one DOM owner. So uh, you yeah. can't get that doubling of traffic anyway. So, you know, ACI mesh, yeah, you're going to send it from DOM owner out to DOM client somewhere else. But uh, it's, it's, you know, it's it's very similar to like a multi-writer type environment. Yeah, multi-writer had a similar kind of back-end topology. But the, the good thing is the performance service does work. So you can turn on the vSAN. In fact, you should, please must turn on the vSAN <laughs> performance service. Yeah. And you can look at those latencies, look at those network metrics, uh, see what's going on there. Um, and from a capacity viewpoint, you know, what, one thing to keep in mind is that this, I think there's a common misconception. Some people thought that this was some type of storage virtualization. So you were like layering vSAN on vSAN, or you were like swizzling multiple clusters together into a meta pool or a global oh. name. It, it's, it's, it's none of that. It's really simple. Yeah, it's not a vSAN data store like you would an NFS data store, you know, and, and, Kind of effectively, you you see separate data stores. It doesn't create like one, you right. know, megalodon. Logical, one, yeah. Mm -hmm. This isn't not transformers. Eight. This isn't Power Rangers. You're not making one giant, you know, data store. Nice. Uh, and I'm assuming the answer is yes, but uh, from a maintenance mode perspective, exactly the same, right? So if I if I put a host in maintenance mode, it, it knows it's smart enough to know, hey, this is this the storage is somewhere else. Let's make sure that uh, that these hosts are not uh, doing anything to to you know. It, it's completely aware that the data is on another host, correct? It, it is nice. It's all integrated in. You don't have to like say, oh, well, I got to make sure that it's available to every host in the cluster, that kind of thing. You know, it is a cluster wide kind of enable and disable um, capability. So yeah, you know, it's, it's turn it on and forget it. Then you just get to choose whenever you're doing deployments or creating new objects, where you want to place them on the local vSAN data store or on the remote ones, as John says. Well, and from a maintenance, the key thing on maintenance mode is to remember is if you're in a compute only cluster, there's no data to evacuate. Like it doesn't, I mean, we've obviously done a lot with particularly durability components when those snuck in. I think that was seven update one. Mm -hmm. uh, those have sped up maintenance mode operations a lot. And there's been a bunch of other stuff, you know, which is just probably its own podcast topic. But putting a host in maintenance mode that's a compute only cluster, it's going to act like it wasn't even a vSAN cluster effectively. There's nothing really to think about on its side. Yeah, um, it is separating it out like in, in the upgrade. So you upgrade the, the source cluster, you know, um, ensure availability or however you're going to choose. Um, it should be seamless to the app. Um, uh, to the remote cluster, um, vice versa. The remote cluster can be upgraded, just compute, you know, it doesn't have to worry about any of the ensure accessibilities because it's, nothing's local. And so like a, a vSphere cluster that's not, that doesn't even have vSAN can can essentially mount this uh, this data store, correct? It doesn't have to be like a, another vSAN cluster, correct? Right. As of 7 update 2. It doesn't have to be a vSAN licensed cluster. 
you just have to have like a the right VM kernel enabled so it can receive the vCN traffic. Oh yeah, the network. You do need to create the VM kernel ports uh, before you can do the mount. That is a good point. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but otherwise, I mean, it's a it's an interesting technology where you know we are able to share that out and and um, it, it's given me the opportunity to explore all these different ways that we might be able to leverage it, like uh, live migration of Oracle VRAC. No, that's cool. And, you know, we vSAN has allowed export of other storage before. There's the the file services. There's the iSCSI. Um, what I thought was interesting is rather than try to go down that rabbit hole, we went with the native protocol, which obviously took a bit more engineering work, but it does make it seem... We talked about some things today. We've talked about, you know, the, the network path. We've talked about maintenance mode. We talked about, you know, kind of operational performance monitoring. Cludging that through another protocol sounds like it would have been, I guess, a lot... Would have been just a kludge, I guess. I already used the word there. Yeah, it's nice. It's not like iSCSI where you're creating an object that's a LUN within the data store. You know, you get the same spread layout that you would get with having a local vCN data store and, and and potentially even more like you said if you've got small compute clusters you could have a storage cluster that's got you know 12 24 nodes in it with with tons of storage and spread it out across all those hosts and get all that bandwidth and all that performance from from one super large cluster sharing it out to really small clusters I love all this this talk about cluster you know all these clusters spell for a long time there we kind of had this attitude in virtualization, I feel like was like silos are bad. Let's let's consolidate everything into one big cluster. You know, go to go to sixty four. You know, and and then we started getting hosts with like four terabytes of RAM and one hundred twenty eight cores. And I start thinking, how many VMs do I really want to HA? Like, how large of a blast zone do I want? How big of a cluster do I want to build? You know, started kind of that that Jurassic Park question of all time. And it's it's good to see that we're able to kind of have our cake and eat it too. Here, we're able to pool resources efficiently. By but we're also able to segment things out, maybe run one cluster at a different version for interoperability reasons with, you know, something out with a cloud management suite or something. There's just a lot of different, we're, we're, we're getting the flexibility without having to make sacrifices and say, okay, I have, I have a two node cluster, so I have 50% overhead, you know, on my storage or, you know, we're able to get exactly. these. Yeah. yeah, you can have a two node cluster and still run RAID 6 if you want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sweet. And still use storage policy-based management, right? So if you're yeah. configuring policy, you know, I, I would imagine that would be an advantage over just having some storage that's external to the cluster that's not aware of the policies that are on the actual virtual machine. That seems like another advantage. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, um, Dave, I know you, you've you already done this for some customers for a proof of concept. Uh, one of the examples you said already was that uh, the storage vMotion of the Oracle Rack cluster, which uh, pretty pretty detailed POC. Uh, matter of fact, I think... I think there's a blog post about that out already. Uh, I will leave a link to it in the show notes, but uh, Sudhir, right? Didn't he write a a detailed explanation of this PLC? He did. Um, We tested it out in the lab and Sudhir was instrumental in the Oracle layers and making sure that uh, everything worked there. And then we, you know, worked with product management and engineering and make sure we weren't breaking any rules when we did this and yeah, we got we got the thumbs up, so we got that blog posted out there on how to do that. And so you said you you already mentioned cluster cluster to cluster networking was certainly a consideration. Uh, uh, any other takeaways from that POC for you? That was it something that you thought was uh, interesting? Yeah, it was it was surprisingly simple, just easy uh, to enable it on both sides, get it running. Then once you've got it running, it, it acts just like vSAN. So you know, it's it's set it and forget it for the most part. Um, other than monitoring performance and capacity. <laughs> 
yeah. would yeah. any work system. Sweet. Any other POCs in line for uh, for ACIMS for you? Yeah, we're 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 looking at it at a few places. Um, one of the global financials is is um, kicking the tires on it, and uh, we're we're expecting you know to do a POC over there pretty soon. So yeah, we're we're seeing a lot of interest. Um, some you know I've worked with some early adopters so far, but uh, now it's like the mainstream guys are looking at it too and finding time to to investigate it. Nice. Well, I hear there's a great session at VMworld covering HCI Mesh uh, that uh, uh, you might want to you want to listen to. Let's see. Shameless plug, John. What is our session number? Uh, <laughs> searching rapidly. <laughs> MCL sixteen eighty three. Disaggregating storage and compute with HCI Mesh. Why? When? And how? There it is. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave links to all that on the uh, show notes of the page. Yeah. I think HCI Mesh is definitely one of those. You know, there's a, there's a few products that come out, a few features, I think, that come out that uh, really change the game a little bit. I think this is definitely one of them. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, hearing more from you, Dave, about uh, future POCs that you have. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be staying in touch. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. That's great. Thanks, guys. Yeah. You know, what's been what's been fun, Dave, with this feature is um, it's it's actually getting a lot more adoption and design than I than I ever really imagined. I was like, there'll be a use case for this in some of the large shops, but like, I feel like I'm having a weekly customer call. Um, but the other thing is, I'm noticing about one out of four calls. It's not about using it. It's about people who just had this like thing in their mind of like, oh, HCI mesh or HCI, I'm always going to hit some point of scale to where like it's just going to break down and I won't be able to add storage properly. <laughs> like, people who are like, you know, you, you could put a lot of storage in 24 drive base, like the, who just ignored that. And they're like, they were just completely throwing out. They're like, unless I see some type of asymmetric scaling, it's it's one out of four. It's just getting past this like mental, like, okay, you could have designed around this, but this is basically, it's an objection handling. And it's like, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Now I'll deploy it. And it's like, Always okay. trying to you only it. have 10 terabytes per host. Why did you need HCI mesh to deploy? <laughs> well, what if I increase it 20x? You know, if you increase storage 20x, a lot of budget better be showing up in your <laughs> yeah. like better keep buying. I'll just go build a new cluster. Like something wacky has happened at your scale. If your company increases a 20x, like you know, f- what your data is now today becomes five percent of the total. People like think that budget's not going to show up. And if you have apps that are generating data at that rate and they're not generating revenue <laughs> yeah. for your company, like shut that shit stuff down like delete their files turn on some quotas like take take the take the vra away from the drunk developers like stop stop letting them deploy vms that have no point like (laughs) i love it i love it all right well that music tells me it's time to go and so if you want to get in touch with us send us an email at podcast.vmware.com you can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching virtually speaking podcast you can catch this in all episodes at bespeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to Dave Boone for joining us and talking some HCI mesh. We're back next time, but until then, bye for now. Enough of this jibber-jabber. <laughs>